All right, so basically what we're going to do with this class is we want to kind of show you, um, we want to walk you through the process of how someone's, you know, how you reach out to someone, how they become a disciple, how they become a follower of Jesus. But then we want to take you through uh, the steps of what happens after that. The, the fact that we want you to, you to see someone go from someone who is lost to coming into a right relation with God to becoming someone that someone else is working with and discipling and developing to becoming someone who is able to lead. And, and when we started talking about how we wanted to do that, we figured the best way to do that would be to show you guys that generationally. So in 2004, when the church plant came out, uh, 30 of us from Illinois moved here to start the church in, the, in this Winsville area. And just a few months later, uh, we ran into this crazy dude right here, uh, TC. And uh, I'll, I'll, TC is going to kind of get to tell his story a little bit. Um, and then from TC, the next generation for us here came down to Brian. So TC was instrumental in Brian's relationship with God and Brian's development. And we're going to kind of talk about how that went and how, what that looked like as well. Uh, and then Brian was instrumental in Two, Kyle. Hot, can we call him Hot Kyle? Kyle! That's why the room is so packed. Hot Kyle! So I can uh, I can say that because my daughter is the one who I think nicknamed him that basically when she was a kid. So yeah, Kennedy, wave your hand right there. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah. So anyhow, Brian was instrumental in the development of Hot Kyle as well, and uh, and so. And, and what the plan is that this first session, TC and I are going to talk to you guys basically about Generation 1, about what it looks like to reach out to someone and show them how to have a relationship with God and what that takes from, from our perspective. Uh, and I'm glad you're moving that because I can keep you uh, And then the second, the second track, what's going to take place is you're going to see, you're not going to see the ongoing necessary development of TC, but you're going to see how TC developed because he's going to be talking, him and Brian are going to be talking about what TC did in order to help Brian develop. And then from there, Brian in the third session is going to be working with Kyle about how Kyle was able to be developed and be able to be released into leadership on his own. So we're hoping that we can weave this through and that you guys can see step by step what that looks like. But so these are the guys who are going to be teaching you uh, over the next couple of tracks. So let's give them a hand and we'll jump into this one. All right? Oh, hot Kyle. Yeah. This is hot Kyle's wife that just walked by, so I'm sure she really appreciates us calling yeah. him So he but, is uh, off the market, just yeah, so y'all know. He is, yeah, he's taken. So is Brian, guys. Yeah, sorry to tell you. We call Brian's wife Hot Leah. But, you know, not saying Brian's not hot, but, you know. Yeah, he's right. Uh, all right, so uh, we're going to kind of jump in here. Um, well, I guess we'll just start off real quickly by, let's do like a, I don't know, like a, just an overview of just how we met initially, but without getting into the, what happened. No, you just tell me when to stop. Okay. I'll tell you when to Okay. Stop. All right. So I grew up, uh, I got to tell this story last night. Uh, I grew up super poor, moving around a lot, divorce, drugs and alcohol in the house. I found out later that uh, there was sexual abuse in my house. Uh, just a lot of craziness. Uh, parents used us as pawns. Uh, I started uh, wrestling. I had physical abuse. See, my dad beat my mom multiple times. Um, I started wrestling to get out of the house, to kind of my escape. Got to college, and I was All-State twice in wrestling. Um, got to college, all things were good, and then I got hurt. And then when I got hurt, I started, uh, I was really straight-laced. I only drank like one or two times before uh, I got hurt in college. I got hurt, so there was nothing else to do. I couldn't practice, couldn't whatever, didn't need to compete. Um, I started drinking, and what turned into like a fun weekend would be like an everyday, multiple times a day, drinking and driving, all kinds of different things uh, for like a year and a half. And uh, the things, uh, the things I did in my life between the drinking, my anger, things with women, I just run my life into the ground. I had some friends that were four or five years younger. They called me big brother. I called them little brother. Uh, I should have been the good influence on their life, and I wasn't. I actually encouraged the younger one to cheat on his girlfriend for four years. She found out about it, broke up with him, and he was super down. So my guilt was getting to him. I went and checked on him to try to encourage him. I, I remember even saying, you do, there's plenty of fish in the sea. That's not what someone in that situation wants to hear. And so I was going to leave, walking out, of the, walking out of his house in his garage, and something told me, like, go back in. No, 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 he's fine. Go back in. No, three times that happened. 
I go back in, I check the living room, I check the kitchen, I check the bathroom, his bedroom, he's nowhere. Well, there's some wrestling mats and weights downstairs, so I thought maybe he's just blowing off some steam, getting a workout in. I walked down the stairs, and Eric's hanging from an extension cord in his basement. Uh, purple, uh, blue face, um, me and his brother get him down, he, he lives, but around that time, uh, a few months before that, a church plant started, and uh, Matt and Ryan, whose dad who had committed suicide, came on the church plant, because they had eight kids, so they kind of came to kind of give the mom a little relief, wrestled on the same team as Eric, started reaching out to Eric, they're studying the Bible with Eric, and Eric, what are some things you may have to change or cut out of your life to uh, follow Jesus? And he said, uh, hey, let's get, uh, I need to get TC out of my life. So the guy who should have been big brother, good influence, was the guy that he needed to cut out of his life to follow Jesus. And so Carrie, who was studying the Bible, and Matt, who were studying the Bible with him, instead of cutting him out, why don't you bring him in? Why don't you invite him? And Eric, Carrie told me, like, he said Eric laughed laughing. He's like, there is no way on earth that dude's coming to church. He just got to go. Yeah. So Eric, um, Eric invites me. And he invites me, and he invites me, and he invites me, until the point where it's like almost I can't say no, more or less to get him off my back. I was like, all right, I'll go to that birthday party thing you were talking about, the least threatening, least religious thing that I could go to. So it was Juan Black's 21st birthday party. They've got these Fitz's root beers, which if you're not from St. Louis, it's like craft root beer before craft root beer was a thing. And I'm like, what is in these bottles? Are glass bottles? And I'm like, this is, this is kind of lame, but it was actually really fun. And I actually remembered everything next morning. So I was like, all right, these people are all right. I'll go to church. So I go to church, and I'm like, okay, like this seemed like a really real group of people. All right, let's go to a cross chat. Oh, well, they invited me to cross chat. Oh, okay, I'll go to that. They had the red solo cups, and I kept thinking, oh, what's in those? Because I know what goes in red solo cups, right? Um, and again, it was just soda or whatever, and I was like, okay, like this isn't bad. So keep on. Uh... Yeah, okay. let's go to, let's stop at this when you get to the study. Okay, okay. So, so a couple, a week or two later, Carrie's like, hey, let's sit down and study the Bible. So I skipped class on a Tuesday, um, like all day. Um, I, was, I didn't know that. He did not know that at the time. I skipped class. So we study at the crossings. We have like a set of Bible studies to just like foundations of what it is to be a disciple. And so we study seeking God and... Do you want me to do this part? Because that kind of goes into Yeah, let's go into this part then. Yeah. We'll stop okay. there with okay. that part. We'll get into that part. All right. Okay. Okay. So you want me to start? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I just feel like I've been talking a lot. Okay. So um, so new leaders for new churches. I, I didn't know what leadership was. I didn't know anything. I literally, our idea of church was like, all right, if we're able, we'll go on Christmas Eve, we'll go on Easter, and that's when we go to church, and that's what commitment looks like. And I went to Missouri Baptist uh, University before Lindenwood, and so there were two groups of Christians there. There were the people, we had mandatory chapel on Thursdays, who would be like hands raised, um, singing out to God, but there were also the people on Thursday nights who would be out drinking with me, like the, the hypocrite people, and at times I could have been one of them, right? And then there were, there were um, the people that were really into it, but everything was just always fine. There was no realness, no whatever. There were some really good-hearted people at Mobab, but I never connected with them because I never felt like I could fit in with that. Not everything was fine in my life. It was it was a mess. And so I meet these people from the crossings who were imperfect, like from the jump. Like you could see all these things, but I was like, all right, like there's something different here. And so I get into this, and I notice that there was just something different. They were starting a church. They gave up everything that they had ever known and moved. Alton is a whole lot different than O'Fallon. Like, just, just completely different. Very segregated and, and that, and it's very different. And so they move, leave everything and they go, and I'm like, what is going on, on with these people? And I noticed something with them. That God's love and God's patience was their driving force. Not just for them, but when I look at it, from, for like God's love for me and his patience with me, because I'm going to, in 1 Timothy 1, 15 and 16, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. When I read that, I like, the Bible says it's like a mirror. I look in there and I see that I am the worst and I look at this stuff and I'm like, that was me. Like, I felt like I was the worst. And there are things that I can't say here that I did because we're a mixed company, but things that I could wish I could go back and I could take back. 
but I felt like I was the worst. It says, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as, a, as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. I think the thing that TC didn't realize when he first came around and he felt that way, and even now looking at that, feels he knows that's who he was. But the thing he didn't understand when he first connected with, with us was, is that all of us are that, right? And he didn't understand because he had seen this crap example of what a Christian looks like at a Christian school, he did not understand this is what it should be like. And so when he came here, he had a hard time at first understanding why we would want to have anything to do with him. And we all understood why, because we're all like, this is us as well. We're broken. We're screwed up people. We have sin. We have failures. We have addictions. We have hurts. All of the things that TC felt about himself, we had already realized as well about our lives. And so the driving force for us to want to connect with somebody like TC was the fact that we realized that God's love and his grace and his mercy is what had driven us to a relationship with him as well. Therefore, it kind of pushed us towards TC, which kind of leads to that next. Yeah, for sure. I remember after my second or third cross shot, RJ gave me a ride home, RJ, his brother-in-law. And we were sitting in his truck, his Sonoma, which I later bought, which was one of my favorite vehicles I've ever owned, uh, was in this truck. And I was like, man, everyone was so great. Like this person, this person, I was like raving. He goes, well, I want to slow you down. Like we're not perfect people. And you're going you're gonna to understand that, like, really quick. And I don't want you to build this thing up so it gets so high that whenever you realize this aren't, everyone's not just perfect, that the bottom falls out. And I quickly started, like, from our cross chats, one of the things that I love about our cross chats is, is, like, people talk about their addictions, like pornography and drinking, and not things that they were, but things that they currently struggle with. And I was like, oh, like, I can, I can relate to these people. But why would people do that? Well, in Second Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, for Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. It's the love of Christ that compels, like me and so many other people, to share their stories. Do you think I like sitting at a cross chat talking about my daddy issues and how like I was so emotionally like shallow that when I would get upset when I first when I was first learning to express healthy emotions that I would get in a fetal position and cry on the floor and I wouldn't let anyone touch or talk to me like as a wrestler as a strong like man who's beat other men like in a, in a, in a, in a ring right that I want to do that why do I do that because Christ's love compels me and I've seen that so many times from people that Christ's love compels them to tell the dirtiest like the saddest parts of their lives and and bear their wounds and be vulnerable Christ's love compels and he says and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view though we once regarded Christ in this way we do so no longer therefore if anyone is in Christ the new creation has come the old is gone the new is here and all this from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us this ministry of reconciliation. It ain't about me. When I went into the water, I died to myself. If you went into the water, you should have died to yourself. In your story, your past, your experiences, everything that you do is, is now Christ. And I can't tell you how many times I've sat at a cross chat or given someone a ride home from an event or this or that, we start talking about daddy issues, and I look over, look into their eyes, and their eyes are just full of water. I'd be like, that was me. And that's one of the things that Brian and I really connected on with our daddy issues. We have a text group about our daddy issues that we talk about. <laughs> that's a whole different thing. But we connect on that because it's not about us. And so, I forget. Okay. So I think, I do think that, like, <clears throat> the thing that you, we need to realize is when it comes to sharing our faith, when it comes to reaching the lost, making disciples, however you want to frame that, if you look at that and you're looking and you're like, man, that's something I am not good at, you probably have a list of reasons in your head why you're not good at that. And it can be everything from I'm not talented enough or I'm too scared or whatever the issue might be. But let's just boil it down very simply in a way that is very challenging. If you are not reaching out to the lost, if you're not at least attempting to make disciples, you don't have a fear problem, you don't have a talent problem, you have a love and gratitude problem, okay? Ultimately, that's what the scripture points out to us. 
The, Christ's love is what compels us to be ministers of reconciliation. Christ's love for us and what he had done for us compelled us to come out onto a church plant. It wasn't because we were good. It wasn't because we had all of our stuff together. It was because we knew what God had done in our lives, and it pushed us to want to do that for others. That's what compelled us to want to connect with guys like TC. That's what eventually led TC to be compelled to be able to reach out to other people to be able to go on a church plant himself was the fact that Christ's love pushes us for that. It's the driving force behind everything that, that takes place when it comes to disciple making. If that's not the reason you're wanting to make disciples is because of God's love for you and God's love for them, you're doing it for the wrong reasons and it won't be successful and it will crash and burn because, because it won't be about your, your care and concern for God and people. And whenever that is not the underlying reason, the driving force for our making disciples, we've got it all wrong. And, and, and you're not really making disciples when you're doing it for other reasons. Yeah, in the book of Acts where it says they can't help but speak about the things that they had seen and heard, like that was like, there was certain death and beatings and things like that right in front of them. And they, but they couldn't help it because of the gratitude and God's love was driving them. Hey, Rocky Four, if we die, we die, right? Like they're going into it knowing that God's love compels them. And that's the thing that should drive you through all of it. Because being a disciple is not always an easy thing. And that love should compel you through. So God's love and patience for me should be the driving force. Christ's love compelling me. The second thing, though, I must never forget if I'm going to reach the loss is this. The fearful destination of those who don't follow Jesus. We, you need to understand what happens if people aren't followers of Christ and they die. And I think sometimes we put that out of our mind and we don't like to think about it. There are even times where I look at friends of mine and I'm your family is lost. Why do you not have a burning passion and desire to reach them. Well, your friends are lost. Your co-workers are going to hell without God. Why do we not have a drive? And I think it's because we don't like to think about that. We put it out of our minds. But in 2 Corinthians 5.11, it says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try to persuade others. You see, as disciples of Jesus, we should understand why we are supposed to have a fear of the Lord. And that should persuade us, that should push us to want to make sure other people have that. Second Thessalonians 1, 8 through 10 says, He will give justice with blazing fire to those who don't recognize God and don't obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the Lord's presence and away from his mighty glory. This will happen when he comes on that day to receive honor from his holy people, to be admired by everyone who has believed, and our testimony to you is believed. You see, I, I, sometimes we avoid passages like this because we don't want to be the hellfire and brimstone kind of churches. I'm not telling you this because I want you to go tell everybody they're going to hell. I'm pointing these passages out to you because I believe it, that your heart for people should be changed. It's not that you need to go make sure they know they're going to hell. You need to know they're going to hell so that you love them enough to intervene. That you care for them deeply enough to realize that this is their final destination. It is my responsibility as a disciple of Jesus to make sure they have every single opportunity that they can have to follow Jesus. They can have every opportunity that they need to make sure they recognize God when he comes. And that he recognizes them as their own. You see, our love for them and our fear for what could happen to them without God should push us to make sure that other people are safe. And if those two, those aren't the driving forces, if those aren't the things pushing you, if those aren't your motivation, you really need to examine your heart. You know, I, I remember one of the first times I, I, uh, I went to a campus ministry seminar. And I remember as I left that seminar understanding very clearly from talking to several ministers, several elders, several campus ministers at that church, when I left that seminar, it was made very clear to me, those campus ministries existed for the Church of Christ kids who showed up on their campus. That is what they were there for. And if somebody came around, great, so be it. But their number one priority was keeping the saved safe. And to me, that was heartbreaking because that's not what I grew up around. And I didn't understand that was what permeated Christianity. And when I realized that, it broke my heart. And I remember writing a letter or writing a lesson for the next time I got to speak, and it was called Hear the Cry of the College Campus. Because I had grown up in a church where I had seen lots of people like TC come from 
brokenness and shame and guilt and hurt and having families that were just awful. And I had seen those people go from that to being good dads and good husbands and good men and good women. And the fact that the norm in Christianity is not to go into the world and make disciples of all nations so that they can be connected with God and have a different life broke my heart. And I, I, I will tell you right now, there have been moments in my life where that hasn't been the focus the way that it needs to be. We all get there. But that's what it should be. And if we're going to be groups that make a difference in the lives of the people around us, our, our compulsion has to change. What drives us has to change. Once you get that, the practical steps should be easy. The hard part, the hard part is the hard part, right? It always is. The hard part is the hard part every time. We get our hearts right and get aligned with God and His mission. These next practical steps that we get to come much easier. And the heart, if the heart doesn't change, you may make the changes for a short term. Like anyone could really be determined, but if you get your heart right, it changes your life. Like forever and also your eternity and then the eternity of people there there's been times where i've said i'm going to stop doing this and it was about me or whatever the focus is wrong but when god's word penetrates my heart and he shapes it and he molds it to be like christ it's the things that are those lasting changes that have helped me to become like the man that i am the the husband the father the friend the brother the guy that could disciple a hard-headed guy like brian and then hot kyle and all that so when we were looking at this lesson, we were like, okay, we want to take this from, you know, from Paul and, and look at how he developed people. And how he de- but the thing is, Paul had to be developed himself. He had to have people engaged in his life for him to become the man who was able to do that. And so we started talking about, like, right, we need to start before Paul and Timothy ever started. And we need to look at what happened to him and what enabled the people that God placed in, in his life to help lead him towards Christ and use those to say, okay, this is what you can do in order to do those same things. So we're going to read Acts chapter 9, verses 6 through 20. And it's a, it's a chunk of scripture, but we're going to read through it. And then we're going to kind of break down for you some practical steps that we see in this story and how they played out for me and TC in our relationship and how it, how it works. So it, it says this, this is right after, so this is right after Saul has gotten knocked on his rear and you know, God's like, Hey, Knock it off. And he's like, yeah, Lord, tell me what to do, right? So it says, now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with the authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength, and Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. You see, you look at that, that's a, that's a powerful story. It's a powerful story of a man's life being changed. And God, as always, has to be the one who is driving that. But God always uses people. People were always God's plan A here. That's why, he left the, that's why he left the apostles. That's why he trained them the way that he did. Because people were his plan to reach the world. And in this story, you see God. God could have told Saul all of this stuff on that road. He could have told him, could have directed him, but that's not what he did. He directed him to a person, right? And, and we are that person. We are those people for others. And so if I'm, gonna, if I'm going to reach the lost, if I'm going to make disciples, there's some things I must do. First of all, I have to be available. 
In verse 10 it said, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision. Ananias, and he said, Yes, Lord. Too many times I believe God puts people in our path and, and, and we allow them to walk right on by us because we're just not available. We are not, we are not available to God to be used. And so there are people who you sit next to in your class. There are people who you sit next to at work. There are people in your family, probably people in some of your homes that you live with all the time who are completely lost, have no relationship with God, and should have a fearful expectation of what is going to happen to them unless they change that. And we're so unavailable that even though they're right next to us, they never, ever hear about God from us. But when you see what happens here, God talks to Ananias and immediately he's like, yes, Lord. You see, whenever Jesus is Lord, you're always available. And if you're not available, then Jesus isn't Lord. You understand that? Because Lord means boss. It means master. It means he's the one who's in control. And so when he snaps, you say what? When he says jump, you say how high. You're whatever he wants, you have subjected yourself to his lordship. And if he's Lord, you're available. And if you're not available, he's not Lord. Does that make sense? And if we're going to reach people, we have to be available. You see, whenever, whenever God put it on our hearts to go on a church plant, we had to make a decision, am I going to be available or not? Whenever, whenever kids like Eric that he was talking about that, that Matt and I studied the Bible with, we had to make a decision to be available to Eric. Matt had to make a decision to be available, to be there and connect with him in the wrestling room, but he also had to be vulnerable enough, available enough to be vulnerable enough to connect with Eric in a way that would let Eric see, man, I've got hurts too, and I know what's going on in your life, and he was available to connect with Eric. And we had to make ourselves available. Eric had to choose to make himself available to TC when he wanted to push him away. Those are difficult things to do, but we all have to choose to be people who are available. Yeah, and so, like I said, I skipped class to, to, to be available, right? We're bringing like, the story back up. Right, yeah, yeah, so I, I skipped class to be available, and that's something What that a I, sacrifice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hang out with the coolest guy he knows all day or go to class. Back then, Carrie wore a lot of, like, girly metro clothes. <laughs> then, uh, so he wasn't, as a wrestler, I was like, is this guy and why do I like find myself wanting to be around him it's because I could look at his life I could see like a pattern of faithfulness I could see a purpose I could see vision intentionality and so I made myself available to that I skipped class I know there were times that I oh, we were talking about this again last night I know I, I called him every five minutes like he's not answering maybe he's not busy now Maybe he's not busy now. I would show up on family nights and date nights, and I know you guys started putting signs on the door. Uh, family night in progress, you can't come in. And it was never a name to it, but it might as well have said TC, comma, <laughs> family night in progress, go away, come back tomorrow. Like, but that was it. I was like, I was trying to be available. I didn't know what I was doing in my relationship with God, so I was just trying to put myself around people that would help me to grow. It, but the, that, that day when we studied, it was funny because normally we'll study once, right? Yeah. And we got done studying Seeking God, and I'm like, you know, at the end of Seeking God, we always have that challenge of like, okay, if you're going to seek God, when are we doing this again? And I remember TC being like, right now. Like, we're doing it right now. And I'm like, all right. So, you know, we study the Word of God. I'm like, all right, what do you think? You know, what would you learn? All right, when are we doing this again? Right now. I want to study again right now. We finish, we finish, you know, the Word. And we move on to, you know, sin. And we move on to the cross. And we move on to discipleship. We move on to, you know, repentance and baptism. He's like, now, there's water. Yeah, Where's the water? water? Yeah, right. Show me the water. Put me in it. And I remember. I remember After you found Church of Christ. Yeah. High five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thank you for opening your building. I remember. Us. I remember yeah. sitting there and driving to. I think I even was. I think I was. I don't think we were texting as much then. But I remember talking to Hannah. Like, I'm like. TC wants to be baptized. She's like, what? You just studied seeking God? I'm like, no, we studied all of it. <laughs> and I remember being like, this dude is going to be gone in two weeks. No question. Dude's going to be gone. But unfortunately, 17 that's not the way later. <laughs> <laughs> Still showing up on family nights. <laughs> but honestly, the second, the second thing is trust God's vision. And from the very first study, we studied Jeremiah 20, very first verse 
We're studying for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper, not to harm you. You're going to seek me, and you're going to find me when you seek me with all your heart. You're going to call upon me. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to bring you back from captivity. And these are people who had been enslaved for 70 years. And they hear this guy. They come in, and they're like, he starts preaching this thing of, like, freedom and freedom from bondage. And that's how I'd felt my whole life. I had felt like I was in bondage, and I was trapped by my emotions and the circumstances I was put in. And, and Carrie started to cast a vision for me. Hey, well, what if... What if you do this life with God and you surrender your life to God? God can bring you out of that. He can break a cycle. Your kids are never going to have to see you beat your wife. And the cops are never going to have to come and search the house and the drugs and the alcohol and the anger and all this stuff. And he also talked about a church plant in the very first study that we studied. So 10 years later, when we finally got ready, I was like, there it is. I'm in. But there was a vision there of what Christ could do in my life. And in verse 11 of uh, Acts 9 there, it says, The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Have you ever been like temporarily blind? If anything comes by you, you're kind of like, go, go, go away. <laughs> right? This guy comes up to him and Saul knows it's a vision from God and God has placed this on his and it was like, this is what I need to do. And that was the same thing with me. Carrie had placed a vision of what God could do in my life, and I trusted that vision. And there were times I got a little sidetracked and things like that because I'm not perfect. But there was a vision there, and here I am, 17 years later, still bugging these two, right? But I've gone on a church plant, praise God. My kids have never seen me beat my wife, maybe in board games, but never physically <laughs> beat my wife, right? Right? Um, I, I haven't had a drop of alcohol in 17 years. Uh, my kids know my story, or a, lot, a lot of my story, not all of it yet, but they know how screwed up daddy was, but where God has brought him to. But there was a vision from day one of what God could do in my life. Well, and I think it's, you know, for TC in some ways, that vision may be easier to believe for him as the person being reached out to than the person doing the reaching out at times. Because at least for TC, when he hears that vision, he's like, maybe there is hope right? Mm -hmm. But sometimes as disciples, we also, Ananias is the one who had to believe the vision, really. I mean, him and Saul both did, right? They both had to choose to believe God's vision for the life because Ananias had to go to this dude and he has to talk to this dude who he's probably like, this is not going to work. But because God had a vision for Saul's life, he was willing to do that anyway, which kind of leads into that next thing is that if I'm going to reach people, not only must I be available and not only do I need to trust God's vision, but I need to fear God more than I fear them. I need to fear God more than I fear the lost. You know, Ananias is like, uh, hey, I don't know about this. Like, this dude is crazy. He's been, you know, I know what he's been doing in Jerusalem. I know he came here and has the authority to arrest us. You know, and, and God doesn't play with him, right? God does not, it's not like God starts reasoning with him, right? One of the things that drives me crazy about parenting now, when I, when I listen to parents trying to reason with their children, I'm like, sometimes your kids need to know you're the authority tell them to knock it off and they don't need an explanation why because you're their boss that's why well that's kind of what god does here god's like go he's like i'm not playing with you i didn't i'm not asking if you know who this dude did, did god say do you know who this guy is you know where he's been you know what he's up to no he said i want you to go to this place and when ananias starts saying but this 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 and this god's like uh-uh go and, and Ananias doesn't okay. sit there, yeah, <laughs> you know, he, he doesn't jone it up, right? Like he actually listens and it's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to trust God and I'm going to fear God more than I fear this man because God says, this man is my chosen instrument, you know, and you look and he says, this is my vision for his life. And then God tells Ananias, go. And it says, then Ananias went to the house and entered it. You know, there are times where I just need, if, 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 if my love is failing me, if my fear for them and what's going to happen to them is failing me, sometimes I just need to remember God's my boss. He's the Lord. He's the master. I'm not. And when he tells me to do something, when he is clearly laid out in Scripture over and over and over again what my mission here on earth is, when he tells me to do it, he doesn't want to hear my excuses. He doesn't want to hear me whining and crying about it. He wants me to get off my butt 
and he wants me to go do what he's told me to do. And when we get that straight, it blesses our lives and it blesses the lives of everyone we come into contact with. It would have been easy after everything Eric had told me. I knew all kinds of stuff about TC before I ever met TC. I, I knew all kinds of things about him. It would have been very easy to be like, that dude is not going to want this and, and I'm not going to... I'm not going to waste my time. I don't want to deal with the issues and the baggage. Because when you reach out to somebody like TC, he's right in a sense. It is not, you're not going to study the Bible with him, baptize him, and then just be like, there you go. And that's the end of it. You're going to be dealing with his baggage for years, literally. And, and, I, and when TC talks about curling up on the floor, like literally, he's in my room, crawled up, like, fetal position. in the fetal position, rocking. And I'm like, bro, knock it off. You're a grown man. The Bible tells you to take every thought captive and make it subject to the Lordship of Christ. Knock it off and grow up. That's one of my life verses, by the way, because I have to. I have to do that. And one of the things he said to me is like, hey, one day you're going to have kids, right? I was like, well, I hope to. He goes, you want your kids to act like this? And whether it be emotion, fear, insecurity, pride, anger, whatever it is, like you're raising up the next generation, whether it be your kids or whether it be Brian, your kid, right? And Emmett... Uh, has his things right and Audrey and Penny have their things but they've never seen that side of me because God did a number on my heart and now they're growing up more secure and more well balanced mentally emotionally and spiritually than I ever did because uh, the, of the things we're talking about because here. of his wife Marie's <laughs> yeah yeah Okay. You can go ahead and take the next one. I just realized that I took the points you said you wanted it's to do. It's all right. Go it's ahead. Part, part for the court. I got, I got Cox mid-lesson this time. We had points all like, so pick the ones you want, and then he starts, and I'm like, dang, that just happened. Um, right, okay. Um, all right. So it, it's just, uh, the next thing is put my hands to action. Put my hands in action. And Acts 9, 17, and 18. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. If Ananias said back, mm -mm, I'm not doing that. It didn't fulfill the... God could have raised someone up and could have done something else. But what does that story look like? Yeah. Carrie could have looked at me and said, you know what, I'm not doing that. But Carrie put his hands... In action, Chris Mullen, Juan Black, Chandler, they all put their hands in action and, and, and put this love into me and, and this guidance. Like, again, it wasn't just Carrie that I was calling out. It was Chris Mullen and Juan and Chandler and those guys who were very different from me, but they put um, their hands on me and helped guide me through this new journey. And I would not have been where I am. I would not be the man that I am without them. You know, so and we you do when you're if you're gonna make a disciples, your hands are gonna get dirty, but you gotta get them dirty. You know, I'm sure Ananias. The last thing he wanted to do was touch Saul after everything he knew he had done. I'm sure the last thing he wanted to do was touch some nasty scales and, and and deal with him. But that's what you do whenever you love God and you love people. You get your hands dirty and you put them to work. And for some of you. You've got to get past this stuff. You need to be available. You need to trust God's vision for that person's life. You need to fear God more than you fear them. And for some of you, it's just that time that you make the decision that says, I've got to get my hands there. One I've of my, got to get to work. Yeah, one of my sister's favorite artists, are, uh, rest in peace, right, uh, is Meatloaf, right? No, okay. I'm saying you can talk about this, bro. Okay, yeah. So, um, yeah, Meatloaf, uh, I will do anything for love, right? And he sings this as his power ballad, right? And it, I'm not going to sing it. But he says, I'll do anything for love, but I won't do that. Right? And so much of us is that we'll do anything for love, but then it comes down to getting our hands dirty and back, but I won't do that. I'm not going to talk to that person. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Like, but then you won't really do anything for love. And we talked about earlier that Christ's love compels us. If that love is so deep in you and so in your heart and you're so grateful... You have to be willing to go down and talk to the people that you don't think want it or are too far from God or too big for God or whatever it is or who have done the worst of the worst, and you have to let that love compel you to do anything for love. Then I also have to teach them the truth. Like, you know, it doesn't just pop into their head. Again, God could have filled 
Saul's head with all the information that he needed, but he didn't. He sent him to someone to be taught. You know, and after Ananias does this, it says that, that Saul was baptized, right? That didn't just magically appear to him. He was taught that. And I think we need to understand, for one, truth is not relative. Truth is the word of God. And doctrine matters. I don't care what anybody tells you. But Carrie, matters. I think this or that. Yeah, right. right? <laughs> Mackie's you know, lesson. You know, it's, it's your, your life and your doctrine matters. If you watch both of those, guess what? You save yourself and other people. We can't be afraid to teach people the truth. We can't be afraid to teach people the word of God. And it's key to making sure that they have a right relationship with him and that they're able to continue in on that. We're going to jump to the next thing because we're running out of time. Yeah. Uh, so the next one is make them part of the family. In verse 19, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So I told you the story about the signs on the door and the things like that. But uh, the other part of that is, is there were six days in the week, right? And I had an apartment that was about 25 minutes from O'Fallon um, and around Chesterfield, town and country, right over there. And um, I paid rent at that apartment, but I was afraid to go there because there was pornography, there was alcohol, there was no accountability there. And so I slept on Carrie and Hannah's love sack in their, their living room. Uh, Kennedy, I'm sure, remembers some of that. And I, I went home very, as rarely as I could. I went home a couple weeks after I got baptized, and I, on co-pilot, I put porn on, I watched porn, and I got like finished watching porn, and I'm like, what did I just do? Like that habit of like, hey, this is what I do here. And so I was like, I can't go home. I don't trust myself there. And Karen and Hannah brought me into their home and made me part of their family. That's like when uh, Kennedy and Aaron got married, like I was like on the list of like one of the people to do like the ceremony because that investment and that time, and I've heard Jackson say things like, dude, thanks for just being a constant in my life. But it wasn't just Karen and Hannah, like on breaks I would stay with Ashley and RJ. I got engaged at their place on Christmas break to my wife. Chris and Fran, I would stay at their house. Tim and Christian, they brought me in and, and helped me to be part of the family and showed me what healthy families looked like. Because healthy families to me were, son, go get me a beer. If you want a sip, you can have a sip. Or anything like that. Like this crazy stuff, the beatings, the moving, the manipulation, the divorce. That's what it was. But they brought me in and showed me what healthy, godly family was and that I could have a healthy and godly family. And I'm super, super grateful for that. So... Um, the last one here, and Carrie's going to well, talk. Well, actually, can I, I want to talk about that just for okay. one second. You guys, I think one of the issues with a lot of times with, when it comes to ministries and churches is this. It's hard to make someone a part of a family you're not a part of. Mm-hmm. All right? Like, it, for, for so many people, church is not family. Right? Like, church, church is the place you go weekly. But when it comes to actual intimacy, families, a good family has intimate involvement in one another's lives. They know the good, they know the bad, they know the ugly, and they're there for all of it. And if that's not what's going on in your ministry or your church, this becomes a much more difficult task. But if you're a part, if you can get, if you can create a culture in your ministry and your church that says we're a family and everybody who wants to be a part of this family is welcome and you pull those people in, you, the, the great thing about that is not only does TC benefit as he's being reached, the family of God benefits every time someone's added to it because he added things that we didn't have before he got there. And, and, and my kids got an older brother, and he got some little siblings, and all the people in our church got a faithful brother. And, you know, and so I think it's one of those things to where like we need to understand this is an integral part of reaching the lost. You, ha- you have to connect them to a family. You have to be their family. There's a reason that the Bible talks so much about God's family and, and the church being a family. There's a reason that God compares a relationship to him, to a marriage. It's relational discipleship. Without relationship, you're just creating clones. Like, that's, that, like you have to have intimate relationship and involvement in people's lives. And without that, we're family. Um, so the last one here is uh, get them to work in the kingdom ASAP. Like too many times we people will say, oh, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. When Acts 2, right, 
the Pentecost, repent, be baptized, three thousand were added to the numbers that day. And in verse 42 right there, it says the believers were together every day. They ate together. They The scriptures, they worshiped together. They were in the temple courts. They did it with glad and sincere hearts. How much time passes between 41 and 42? Huh, not much. Not much <laughs> right? I mean, we don't know exactly, but there was no time there. Just put them to work. We can't allow people to think that, like, we're just going to coast along until we're ready because that coasting process isn't biblical. I got put to work, like, immediately and, it's and we're a, not again yeah. we're not saying you're going to make them a leader right the bible yeah. tells us very clearly don't place hands on someone too quickly right and things like that people need to mature but there are basic commands of the bible that we allow people who are baby christians to, to just not interact and engage in because we're like oh they're babies well look what saul did when he became a when he became a disciple immediately he started going and preaching that jesus yeah. was lord it, it, when the, they talk about the faith of a child in the bible Children, Emmett, for his birthday, pulled out very first pack of Pokemon cards he ever got. He pulls out this, like, super rare rainbow V-Star secret Charizard. It's worth, like, 250 bucks. We got it graded. Like, crazy. Emmett told everyone that could that had ears, who, who, he who had ears, heard about Emmett's Pokemon card because he was excited about it. There's no greater time in your relationship with Jesus than when you're fresh out of the water because you're excited about everything that Jesus had done for you to go out and to tell the good news. But if you wait and you wait and you wait, we settle in. We can settle in and we lose that vigor, that fire, that zeal, that excitement. So immediately, so like two weeks after, yeah, tell them yeah, two weeks after I became a disciple, my little sister calls me on my super cool flip phone. Um, uh, super cool flip phone. And she's wanting me to buy her booze. And we're at CrossChat, right? And I'm like, hey, I'm not going to do that. I, I don't live that way anymore. Um, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm not doing that. She starts bleep, 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 bleeping me off the phone and cussing me out. And Carrie's like about this far away. He's like, who is that? That's my little sister. She wants me to buy booze, right? And I was like, I'm not doing it. And he's like, give me the phone. I'm like, I ain't giving you the phone. He takes the phone from my hand, starts talking to her. Hey. She's like, who the bleep is this? And she's bleeping at Carrie. And I'm like, oh, God, this is so embarrassing. These are my new friends, blah, blah, whatever. And so he's like, hey, you should come to Cross Chat. She's like, what the bleep is that? And she starts bleeping him up, hangs up on him. At this point, the 25 or 30 people there are, are looking at both of us like, what is going on here? And I was like, oh, that's my little city. You think I'm something like she's way more whatever. And I was at MOBAP, a different school than Lindenwood, where everyone else is at. I was like, you know what? She actually goes to school with y'all at Lindenwood. And she lives in that dorm over by AutoZone. And Maria, my now wife, and her roommate um, lived in the same, we live in that dorm. I was like, well, that's weird. You know, so I'm like, cool, cool. They're like, what's her name? I was like, her name is Mallory. Well, my sister Mallory um, had these... I think they were El sisters <laughs> drunk mouth. Yeah, yeah, El Salvadorian. <laughs> they would fight when they got drunk, their sweetmates, so that she would go and sleep on their couch in their room and pass out there. So they're like, your sister's drunk Maori. So I was like, well, I'm going to invite her. You invite her. And we're, eventually someone's going to annoy her enough where she's going to come around. Well, two weeks later, April 1st, she comes to our spring break retreat, our super cool spring break retreat at Klondike Park. And we go, and it's the first thing she ever comes to. She rode out with Sarah Mullen, or Sarah Carney at the time, right? Rode out with her. And I, I did not believe she was coming until she actually got there. But she came, and she had heard the same message. You know, she had studied not all in one day, because she's a little slow like that. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, she hears this message about Jesus, and I found out later that she was sexually abused. And so the message of coming out of captivity for her is even different than mine. And she's like, you know what, you can come out of this. And she studies the Bible. She becomes a disciple. She uh, starts leading the junior high ministry, right? Starts leading in the junior high ministry. Um, super faithful woman. Um, she gets pregnant. We get pregnant. We're like a month apart. Like this cool thing. Well, when you get pregnant uh, and you have lupus, like lupus, if you have, you have it, right? And stress on the body. Uh, brings the symptoms to the surface. And there's nothing more stressful on a woman's body than pregnancy, um, except for maybe being married to Carrie. Um, <laughs> oh, God, I'm right. I got your back, Hannah. Um, right? um, 
So the lupus comes out a few years into the, the lupus, and she's super faithful through it, the pain and the treatments and the things like that. She gets meningitis. The meningitis and lupus, they don't mix well, like really bad. And it basically just kind of ate away at her cognitive and brain functions over a few years. And almost six years ago to the day, uh, she passed away. But the cool thing I, I is saying is, is she was going to get lupus, and she was uh, most likely going to have a little bit shorter life, but she did it in the kingdom where she had people to take her to the appointments and to love her and to, when she had her, because the cognitive stuff, when she thought film crews were following her and doing documentaries on her life, that's like a real thing she had towards the end there. We had people like, oh no, Mal, like no, or like when she heard, because we're half Greek, her unibrow would come in in the hospital, her friend Summer would be like, I can't let my girl sit like this. <laughs> so she'd unibrow, you know, take care of that or whatever, but she did it in the kingdom. And it was people being available, right? It was people trusting God's vision, Mal trusting God's vision. It was her looking at her life and back, if I don't change, I'm, I'm going, uh, I'm going to hell, right? It's, it's uh, her being put to action. It's people telling her the truth. Mal, as great as she was, was super difficult, right? And it was people telling her in general, was like, oh, praise, yeah, right? <laughs> it was people telling her the truth. It was people bringing her in. She lived with the, um, the Davises, I think she lived with Ashton Art. She lived with people and got brought in to be part of the family, not just in people's homes, but as a part of a church family. Um, but then she got put to work immediately. And there are people, Aaliyah's in here, right? Aaliyah, I think I saw her. Yeah, Aaliyah, Danielle, so many junior high girls. I know Kennedy got benefits from all, and it's just amazing to see when you get put to work immediately, you got people investing in you, how God can use you, to be reached, but then also what we'll talk about is reaching like the next, the next time. So, and I think uh, one of the things you need to realize is God has already done the hard work. The part He's asking Ananias to do wasn't the hard part. The part He's asking us to do is the hard part. He's already died for the sins. That's already done. That's already taken care of. He, and He's also already set everything up for you. That's the crazy thing. You don't have to cold call. God is already working on people's hearts. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you something crazy that we didn't find out about for years. TC didn't, I didn't realize this. One time, I don't know, a few years ago. I don't know how long ago. I don't don't remember. Just a few years ago, TC and I were talking. And he's like, well, you know, my, I I knew TC had family over in Alton. And at one point he goes, my Aunt Rachel, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Rachel Brown? And he's like, yeah, how do you know (laughs) my Aunt Rachel? His his aunt Rachel was a member of our church in Illinois 25 years before that and God was trying to get at that family all that time TC visited our church as when baby, he was a kid as a baby and neither of us knew it God was trying to get at him for a long time he sets the times and places he's working on hearts you just have to be the one to intersect you have to be that Philip that'll go out to the desert road and do the easy part. You have to be the Ananias that will go and knock the scales off and say, all right, this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The hard work has already been done, but you have to choose to do the easy part. You have to be compelled by the love of Christ. You have to be fearful for those people and love them enough to do what needs to be done, and you will reach people for Christ. The next session, hopefully you're going to learn about how you take someone for after that baptism and start developing them and start teaching them and start training them. Because when you're born into Christ, you're a baby. You have to be developed. That is not the end. It is the beginning of your relationship with God. All right?